welcome to episode 22, the special NBA draft recap edition of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. I'm joined once again, Darren Hill. And Darren, a lot has happened uh, since we last spoke, uh, such is the way the NBA moves these days. But how are you tonight? The off-season is more exciting than the playoffs, Daz. It is. It's funny, that, isn't it? We, we get more excited about, about um, what might happen in the future than what actually is happening a lot of the time right in front of us. Yeah. So, yeah, so good. It's been a, it's been a crazy week. It has. It sort of started not long after we uh, did our podcast last week. Um, the first trade, we've had three sort of oh, major trades to be putting too fine upon. I think one of them was certainly a major trade, but another two reasonably big trades in that the Los Angeles Lakers, first of all, sent D'Angelo Russell to the New Jersey Nets for, essentially, for Brooke Lopez. Uh, what was your sort of first take on this trade? I mean, I liked the trade for uh, the Nets, from the Nets side of it. The Nets also sent a first-round pick back uh, to the Lakers as well. It's obviously a bit of a salary dump uh, on, on both sides of the equation. Brooke Lopez is a expiring contract, so he has some value from that point of view, and he's still a productive player when he's on the court. But I guess the big part of it was the Lakers, after drafting D'Angelo Russell as the number two pick only two years ago, have essentially changed direction on him very, very quickly. So my sort of take on it was I liked it for both sides, but what was your sort of initial initial thoughts on this trade? Well, you know, you've heard me talk a bit about magic and um, uh, and sort of sort of wondering how magic as a player and what he valued, how that was going to play into the building of the franchise, and because it would, it actually was kept pretty quiet, wondering if he was going to get all in on Lonzo or if the you know all that noise was just noise, and maybe Magic was in love with a, a more mature player like a Jason Tatum. I use mature in quotations there. I'm not hinting that LeVar, see, I've been calling him LeVar. (laughs) Man, this this guy has infiltrated our consciousness. So I was really interested from Magic's perspective, what sort of team he would build. And obviously doing it, was it four or five days before the draft, wasn't it? Mm. That was a um, very, very clear signal, right, to the league that this was going to happen beforehand. It was very then clear that, you know, Fultz and Ball were going to go one, two, um, and so I like, I can't believe I liked what the Lakers had done. And it's I probably less of an indictment on, on D'Angelo, right? His maturity, both as a player and as a person is, you know, it's been pretty, it's been in question since he joined the league and, you know, being in that environment certainly hasn't helped um, bring him along at all. But it's probably less about the Lakers giving up on him. And this is, a, this isn't a new regime, right? Magic and Polinka you know, started, what, a few months ago. So um, these aren't, D'Angelo's not their guy. And so that, and at the same time, they've inherited these horrible contracts with Deng and Mozgov. So well, that's what I should have pointed out, that the salary dump side of it from the Lakers Mozgov, was yeah. Mozgov, um, mm-hmm. to put that as well. So they Which is huge, that. right? He had, I don't know, f- another three years and 45 million left or something like that on his deal. So that is a significant um, contract off their books. So... Is it steep? A number two player just two years later is jettisoned, in a, you know, as the as the premium you have to pay to to salary dump a Mozgov. I suppose it is, but D'Angelo does have a few flags. And to be fair, Brook Lopez is in his prime, and he he's he's a 
we talked about him in you know a few episodes ago. Um, he'd taken what twelve three pointers in seven years, and then was taking twelve a game, you know, last year. So um, as goofy as that sounds, is a guy who clearly had the ability to change his game. So I'm giving him some credit. You know, Brooke is mm. not a he's not throwaway, I and mean, he's a he's a fine NBA center if he continues to play like he did last year, which. You know, California kid, so who knows if he's got a future with them or not. And then, you know, getting another pick back, um, which yeah. was a, it was the latter of the two first rounders, wasn't it? It was the, I think, number 27. It was number 27, yes, because they were supposed to be 27, 28, and then they moved one of the picks uh, to Utah. But, um, so yeah, yeah. Look, I, and as I said, I think Brook Lopez is a, he's a, genuine asset not just because of the expiring contract he's, he's still a contributor on the floor and look yeah. if he has a good season who knows they may look to bring him back but they've they're now sort of giving themselves some options i guess as to where they can move as a franchise whereas their hands were tied a little bit when they had Mozgov and, and they've still got to get rid of Luel Deng somehow off the books as well. Um, so whether they attach him to Julius Randle and Jordan Clarkson and see if someone will take them off their hands as well, we'll wait and see. But that's certainly... I, I guess for me, the only thing I sort of felt from the Lakers' point of view is I think they're playing a little bit of a dangerous game in pushing all their chips towards free agency next summer because if you if you strike out with that... You, you run the risk of you're the next New Jersey Nets. So I think they've got to be very careful about any giving away any future assets and attaching them to the, the fact of, you know, a Luel Dang contract to try and uh, create the cap space to potentially sign LeBron or whoever else is going to come. And I mean, even Paul George, yes, the Lakers are his favoured destination, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's definitely going to go there. And a lot of things can change between now and then um, to change his mind on that. So I think they've just got to be careful. And that's why, in some ways, this this was an okay move for them. They're only really giving up the one asset. They were going to draft Lonzo Ball anyway. You can't have Ball and Russell in the same backcourt, I wouldn't think, um, to be a successful franchise. So uh, to move on from him, it's probably a mistake from the, the previous regime. Not sure who they should have drafted there, but Russell hasn't quite worked out. And look, I like for the Nets. You know, The Nets now have a, a genuine number two pick asset that they can say, well, now there's some real upside for this guy. And obviously with a team that, that has so few, or has had so few picks in the last few years, uh, it's it's nice to come out of that with now a young core and a, and a young backcourt. I thought Levert played really well for them last year. So Russell and Levert, that could be a, that, that's a, a backcourt that makes sense to me moving forward for this team. Um, Kenny Atkinson is a good coach. As well, uh, we saw them, and we'll sort of touch on the draft a bit later. But they took another guy with a hell of a lot of upside in the draft in uh, Jared Allen. So this is a team now that's sort of building a bit of a young core, and you can have a little bit of the excitement about uh, where they may be in a few years' time. Whereas you know, if they don't make moves like this, and you just see out the season with Brook Lopez, and you win twenty nine games, where are you going as a franchise? Yeah, so, look. I, as much I like it for LA, and I like it even better for Brooklyn to take a, you know, Brooks probably Brooks Brook, Brooke, 
Brooklyn and Brook. Brook's <laughs> been on the trading block for a few years, right? It could have been, but could have been had a number of times. And so they get a one-year expiring um, deal with Brook Lopez and a low first rounder, the, the lesser of their two first rounders mm. for a number two draft pick, right? And, and let's be honest, and Mozgov will play. Mozgov will play in Brooklyn. Mozgov will start for them, yeah. Yeah, he'll play 15, 20 minutes. He'll be fine, right? He'll, he'll, he'll pound and and then get run off the floor. And, well, yeah. that's all right. But, I mean, Jared Allen can sit on the bench. He can he can learn his trade. You're not he's throwing raw. him straight in. Yeah. Um, he's yeah. raw as. So, uh, look, I like... And, and the reality is... I guess is, what I'm saying is that, the, 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 just from start to finish, the thought was a, from pure value, one year expiring a Brook on a big contract and a number 27 pick to get back D'Angelo, right? A mm. 20 year 21-year-old kid with still a bunch of upside. He's got a lot of shit he's got to fix, but um, maybe Atkinson and the, and the uh, coaching staff can do it. It's, it's just a smart, smart um, smart trade for Brooklyn. Yeah, and I, I, I've still got high hopes for Russell. I mean, the, these one-and-done guys you've really got to have the patience with. And when you throw a guy into the circus that that franchise has been for the last few years, I mean, his first season was the Kobe Bryant farewell tour, which was a complete write-off of a season. Last season, there was a little bit more, I guess, positivity around the ball club. But, you know, when when you've got the likes of Nick Young and players like that at the club... um, as well as all the sort of the focus and spotlight that comes from being in LA, it probably wasn't the best place um, for him to go. And that's, I guess, has always been the concern of me of Lonzo Ball going forward as well. Uh, the, the bright lights of LA, plus the circus that comes with his father appearing on ESPN every second night, let's wait and see how that pans out. But if, yeah. any, if any franchise can absorb that sort of, that sort of stuff, it is the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, I just think Lavar will just fade into the background. When, to be honest with you, I mean, in terms of when the season's underway and Lonzo's got a contract, and we'll, well you'd hope so. You'd hope pop so. His head up at, at times, but I think the it's a far better. They're about the same age, right? But it's a Lonzo Ball is far more ready to floor general a young team than D'Angelo ever was. So as you said, D'Angelo came in and it was the Kobe show. And then last year was just the, the shit show run around headless chook festival of, you know, Brandon Ingram and Nick Young and, and Lou Williams for a while. It was just a what, random basketball with a rookie coach. It was just barely passable, you know, um, NBA basketball. And so, um, and D'Angelo does not the temperament, nor does he have the game to command or control or bring a leadership like I think Lonzo is capable of. Right? He's a floor general, right? He's a distributor. He's a he's a seer of the court. He's a he, he'll he'll try to make people better. So I think instantly, you know, he is far more equipped to grow with the you know the the Ingrams and the Randalls and and the Cosmos and. Um, yeah, whoever else they drafted, I think he's just better temperament. And he needs to go to a team day one. That's why I was sort of thought, gosh, if he actually gets passed by L.A., he'd be a horrible fit in Boston. He'd be a horrible fit in Philadelphia. And I go, he's not going to slide all the way down. You know, he'd be great in Phoenix, but he wasn't going to slide that far. So I thought, gosh, he's actually, he does fit really well in L.A. just from a basketball perspective. So, um 
Yeah, I, I like, like I like their other pick too. They picked up Josh Hart, uh, who was one of the players I was hoping the Spurs might grab. So that that was a nice pick. Uh, they also got Kuzma. I don't really know much about him, so he's probably one to keep an eye on as well. So look, not a bad draft from the Lakers at the end of the day. Um, obviously, the big the big story was taking Lonzo Ball, but I think they got some contributors, the guys that can contribute going forward. And, and Josh Hart's certainly ready to contribute for them next year. Um, and if Paul George does come across as some sort of trade, um, you know, I don't know what how many wins they're sort of sniffing, but they certainly won't be at the bottom of the league uh, the way they have been for the last three years. So things certainly looking up from LA and and with the Nets uh, it'll be interesting to see how much you know in the short term it may not um, equal more wins but certainly a much brighter future for them and and we'll see what sort of part they play in free agency as well because it might be a bit more of a um, a, attractive free agent destination there they can sort of see some sort of direction uh, for the franchise going forward. Um, The other trade that, that happened I think on the same day from memory was Dwight Howard moving to the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, I can't, off the top of my head, remember exactly the trade. I might have to bring it up now. I know Marco Bellinelli was involved. <laughs> Miles Plumley. Miles Plumley, that's right. Plumley and Bellinelli for Dwight Howard. Uh, so I, I like this trade more for Charlotte. To be honest, I think the the sale of this, the way they're sort of saying this is a positive, is Steve Clifford was his coach in Orlando, assistant coach in Orlando, assistant coach in LA. So he has worked with Dwight Howard before. He understands, I guess, how to get the best out of Dwight Howard. Uh, we've sort of spoken off air about it, thinking, you know, Kemba Walker and Dwight in, the, in some pick and roll action. You surround him with some shooters. They draft a Malik Monk. Uh, who's who was a very who shot the ball very well first half of the college season, not quite as well in the second half. But the the projection to him is they would hope that he's going to be a very good shooter and a very good scorer. Uh, you still got Marvin Williams there. You still got Nick Batum there. So they can surround him now with some genuine shooters. Um, so, but but I guess the big question is. Is there still a place for Dwight Howard to be relevant in today's NBA and in the way that the game is going? Well, the, this will be the sixth franchise to answer that question with a no. So again, much like D'Angelo getting shuffled out. By well, Magic, I'll just stop the, you there for a second because the only, thing, the only franchise that didn't answer that with a no was Orlando and he wanted out of Orlando. And he was still very effective there under Stan Van Gundy's system. So I guess the question is, can you rediscover that magic or has the, the, the league moved on? The league's moved on. That's what I'm saying. I think it's the fifth consecutive franchise to say there's not a place for the Dwight Howard who wants to score 20 points a game. That wasn't happening in L.A. It wasn't happening in Houston. It didn't happen in um, Atlanta. And then new, you know, new general management comes in. And it's, it is a... This is a salary dump. So Dwight Howard has hit rock bottom. He's now not even in his little hometown to sell the story to himself and to his family and to his peers that going to Atlanta was the hometown play, a la Dwayne Wade, a la LeBron. It's not even that. He can't even stick around with his hometown team. Gets traded for Miles fucking Plumley, right? And Atlanta had to attach the, thir- the number 31 pick to make this happen. Right. So I go, this is this is no other way to read this as a pure 
salary dump, and given how useless Miles Plumley is and how redundant Bellinelli is now with Malik, what they could probably had there. I think they were probably thrilled that Monk fell to them, but you know Bellinelli didn't have a, a place in the rotation. So Charlotte got uh, Dwight will be a you know a double double guy. Let Zeller go back and play um, on the bench, and he can probably play next to Big Frank. They can play some big ball if they wanted to, and kind of go anti NBA and play Dwight and and Big Frank as kind of their stretch four, even though Frank's probably a better stretch five. Um, and they can play some stuff like that, and he'll get. 12 and 12 probably this season. And um, he won't be able to be played in a lot of fourth quarters. He won't be able to be played in many final five minutes of games when it's close. And, and you'll have that sad Dwight look uh, at the end of the bench. And who knows how his attitude will translate onto the, you know, into the team at some point. I've actually been a bit, a bit of an apologist for Dwight. He's a goof, right? He's, he's a goofy dude. Um, but I, I just, I do sort of think he has been unfairly criticized and I, I just go, we'll see if it's taken a toll on him. And if he starts to turn into Roy Hibbert and become completely useless when he loses confidence or if he'll, if he'll fight through it. And so, um, we'll, mm. it's a, it's a little bit sad, but it's just, I guess, a state of play in the NBA. And he's only, can you only, can you believe he's only 31 years old? It feels like he's. I guess he has been in the league for forever, but um, it's a bit sad. But that's that's where we're at in the NBA. Yeah, I don't. I sort of feel like there's going to be a bit of a bounce back season for him, and I think the Hornets will do a lot better next year. We spoke about them a lot in um, in the season just gone about how they, there was some sort of there'll be some sort of regression to the mean because they lost a lot of close games uh, last season, and I don't. I just don't mind this move. I think it's. I dread to think how this team's going to look with Kid Gilchrist and Dwight Howard on the floor together. That, that's, I guess, some of the problems in today's NBA now. If you have a guy like Dwight Howard on the floor, you have to be so careful about who else is on the floor with him um, and the way you're going to try and stretch the floor and do things well, like that. That's right, but I guess that's where you go. That's where, you, if you say Kemba and Monk, Batum and Big Frank, you know, or even Marvin Williams can shoot a little bit, you know, so they they have enough perimeter play to let Dwight do his thing. It's just will will Dwight ever learn to go full force, turn into the turn into a Ken Fareed sort of type, where you just or hell even even Greg Monroe, right? Greg Monroe, I cannot believe right just how he embraced going from darling in the free agency market to a a bench player just like that and said, all right, I'm going to make the most of it. Will Dwight have the temperament? to, you know, give everything he's got and leave it all on the floor for no. 20 minutes a game. That's not and his that's personality. Okay. It doesn't feel like his personality, but I go, is this the move that humbles him? I don't know if that's, if I don't know. It's He's not proven that yet at any spot, um, but this, who knows? Like I said, when you get kicked out of your hometown team, imagine, imagine what that feels like though, right? Um, no matter how many hundreds of millions of dollars he'd made, that's humiliating to himself, to, to the to his peers. I'd have to say. Yeah. So look, I it was... like it for Charlotte. I like they didn't give up anything. They gave no. up a horrible player and my an unplayable player in Plumlee, who they acquired for two unplayable players in Hawes and, and Roy Hibbert. So they gave up nothing for a thirty-one pick and you know and twelve and twelve. So mm. it's it kind of all upside, and I think I think they'll manage him. 
Yeah, I think Howard was just an ill, Ill fit in, in Atlanta from day one. I, what I've sort of read about it last year's free agency, when the cap spiked, uh, a lot of teams just treated it like a draft situation and they just said, L- we've got cap money to spend, let's get the best player available and we'll work out the fit later. And that can work when you're doing it in the draft sense and you say, we've got two, three years to figure this out because we don't have to play guys straight away. But when you pay money in free agency to bring in the likes of Bismarck Biombo and and Dwight Howard uh, and even Serge Barker, from Orlando's point of view, although that wasn't the trade, um, you sort of look at it and think, well... What's going? Yeah, what are they thinking here? But I don't think they were they were thinking about team fit. They were just like, this guy's available. We've got the money. Let's go and spend it. And Probably. that's what happened with Atlanta. And I think Buds, right from the word go, I just thought, well, what the the style coach Buds wants to play. I mean, in all seriousness, Miles Plumley's a better fit for Coach Bud's style than what Dwight Howard is. And there's a world of difference between their ability as players, but. That's just the way that Buds plays and, and to some degree the way the NBA is going. But I still think there is there is going to be some, some place for Dwight Howard there in Charlotte, particularly from a defensive point of view. Um, and then on the Gil, Kid Gilchrist point, I guess if he is on the floor, they're going to be hard to score against from a defensive standpoint. But when you get a non-shooter out there like that with Dwight Howard, it's going to take uh, yeah. all, all of Kemba Walker's powers to create something there. It's like creating his own shot. But, but I'll make a prediction now. I think I think Charlotte will make the playoffs next year in the East, uh, and I think I think they could even be as high as a five or six seed. Um, so I know that that might be a bit of a hot take, but I I, I genuinely think they were better than um, what their record showed um, last season. Another team that. In the West that I felt, and we spoke on this pod about the fact that we sort of felt they might have been a bit better than their record, was the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, and they blew a number of games last year with where they had double-figure leads and ended up losing the game. And the interesting thing about that is they've now gone in and got a massive trade uh, for Jimmy Butler where they did uh, Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, and the number seven pick for Jimmy Butler. Now, obviously, there's two sides of this trade. When I first heard the trade, that's how I heard it, that it was the seven pick, uh, Zach Levine and Chris Dunn. I thought, well, that's yeah, that's I, I probably wouldn't have done that from Chicago, but look, maybe they're in love with Chris Dunn, and, and you sort of get that sort of thinking. And then when the trade was actually reported, uh, it it was actually a pick swap. So Minnesota got back the 16 pick and then I thought, I just cannot understand for the life of me why Chicago would do uh, that that swap. But I'm not sure what, what side do you want to tackle first here because the Bulls are an absolute train wreck. But I guess maybe let's let's look quickly at Minnesota. What, what does bringing Jimmy Butler into this team mean? What's their ceiling now? What, what, are they still, where are the gaps in their roster? What do you see for the future of this team now? Well, obviously, this is Tibbs' boy, right? So yeah. there's a there's a deep connection and a bond and, and familiarity. They're both on the court and off. So there's a um, there's that obvious connection, right? Secondly, what it does is this completely changes the the arc of the Timberwolves in terms of 
looking at Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins and saying, okay, uh, how do we start to put the pieces together to perhaps compete when, <laughs> when Steph and KD turn 30 in a few years and hope that they slow down, you know, in 2020, um, it changes their timeline. It absolutely changes their timeline. Um, that's how good Jimmy Butler is. The third thing it does is it it takes Andrew Wiggins and puts him in his rightful spot in the NBA, which is really good scoring um, third guy. He could probably be a really good, uh, you know, uh, Robin to someone's Batman, but having Andrew Wiggins as your third best offensive player is um, probably something that every team would would wish they had. And it, on the court, it'll it'll give them a uh, if they keep Rubio, which is highly doubtful, but it'll give them a, a defensive identity and someone to on the court in real mm. time, every possession, teach the players where to fuck to go and how to be and where to and how to act and how to cover yeah. and how to switch and, and how to help. So that's Jimmy where Butler all helps. Jimmy yeah. Butler helps on every single level. He'll be the coach on the floor. And as you heard, probably the what only came out today or, or the other day, today or yesterday, was uh, Jimmy Butler obviously with his finally venting his frustration with with Chicago, which um, which basically said when someone said, you know, what's it feel like to be the face of a franchise and and be jettisoned off like this? And he goes, it basically means absolutely bleep and nothing. So he goes, bleep that, bleep this. Bleep face of the franchise. This is the way NBA is. There's no such thing as face. That's just language by, by people with with spin and in the front office. So I'm going to go and just ball now. So talk about having a chip on the shoulder, and and Tibbs knows this, right? So now they've got Jimmy Butler who wants to breathe fire, and hopefully one wonders will that be infectious on Andrew Wiggins, who's mm. not since coming out of college was always a bit of this. Empty stats, passive. Um, the more I watched him, the more I didn't like his game last year. Talk about a guy who checked out, who looked like he would have fit well on on the Lakers or the Suns, just running around, dunking and shooting the ball. Uh, will will this change um, Andrew Wiggins' trajectory a bit? Um, is another interesting thing to watch out for. Mm. In the moving forward, is it will be they're gonna. You know, I think they're looking, like I said, changing their timeline now means this is the year that they have to spend because when Carl Anthony and Wiggins get ready for their, their extensions next summer, you know, they'll be 20 and $30 million a year per guy. They better sign players now, and you can bet this is the number one team you're going to watch over the next, from July 1st to July 8th, in clearing cap space saying we're fucking going for it i will guarantee that 99 percent certainty they're going to add a significant piece whether that's a george hill or a chris paul or a or a kyle lowry i i will bet and uh, i'll bet a limb that this is now who wouldn't right that's the other thing this is a bit of a positive feedback loop with jimmy wiggins and carl anthony towns and if they keep ding you know the a nice sort of defensive and de- uh, a lame presence when he's playing in the game. I go, who wouldn't want to add themselves to that to that mix? So mm. this has suddenly gone from a interesting. Oh, maybe if they got the third or fourth best young core behind, you know, 
Anthony Davis and Giannis and Kristaps and to suddenly uh, Mar- we're talking a they've got their sights set on a five seed or a four seed next year for sure. So mm-hmm. this is the it completely changes the trajectory of the entire franchise, changes their timeline, will radically change their roster, and it's it just how could you not be more excited for a franchise like Minnesota who endured the you know made their share of mistakes, but you know, having lived through Kevin Garnett and that depression of your mega, mega star having to leave and then Kevin Love, you know, consistently unhappy to now have this happen to them and kind of in reverse. So you kind of have to, it's sort of nice that a bit of karma comes back for a, for a franchise like the Wolves who kind of do the right thing and um, good on Tibbs as well for how he was fucking treated by Chicago, you know, and, and his exit unceremoniously for fuckwit Hoiberg. So um, mm. anyway, that's, that's well. It might have been a belated severance package for Tibbs. Yeah. That's what we were sort of thinking. Yeah, that's what. That's what. The, the, yeah, that's the hint. That's the only logic you could probably apply to the why or the motive for Chicago here. Yeah, look, I can't really add in anything you've just said. I mean, I, I love it for the same reasons. This guy, it, there's, there's a few alpha, real alpha dog personalities in the NBA, and I think Jimmy Butler's one of them, and I think that will rub off on Andrew Wiggins. Uh, he's he's going to bring it every single night. He has the sort of intensity that Tibbs has as a coach. They're really a perfect match together as player and coach. Uh, I think he's going to lift this franchise up. Clearly, they probably now the the word is one one day you hear they're going to keep Rubio, next day they're going to. Um, to trade him, I'm not sure what what happens there. But if you keep Rubio, then maybe they look at the bench situation, or as to your point, maybe they do do go after one of these bigger name free agents uh, and see what they can land this off season and make a real push up the Western Conference uh, to round that sort of four five seed range where there's a little bit of uncertainty, obviously around Utah and the Clippers, Memphis. It's hard to see them getting any better from last year. Who knows what AKC are going to be like. So I think there's an opportunity there without a doubt. I mean, to go back to my early point, they lost 21 games last year after having double-figure leads. So even if they win half of those games, they're a 500 team on last year's record. Now you're adding Jimmy Butler to that. Uh, and you're not really losing Levine because he didn't play much last year after getting injured. Uh, and Chris Dunn showed absolutely nothing. Uh, despite being highly regarded coming out of college. So they haven't given up a heck of a lot um, to make this move either. So love the move for Minnesota, pretty much for the same reasons uh, that you do. And I have a feeling we're going to agree on the other side of this as well. And the master negotiators that uh, Garpax, as they've been now known, the front office of the Chicago Bulls, uh, what... What on earth is are they thinking here with this franchise? I mean, this this was a trade they nearly did last year before the draft, which I guess the only thing you'd say in the defence is, if you said last year they're going to get the number four pick, uh, this year the number seven pick next year, and Zach Levine for Butler, you might say, okay, that's actually not too bad. It's two first-round picks plus Zach Levine. But because they were very high on Chris Dunn last year. That's why the, the deal nearly went ahead, is what I've, I've read about it. Uh, and then, But then you've had a full season of Chris Dunn, 
whatever reason, he didn't look very good last year. And Tyus Jones actually outplayed him uh, pretty much across the entire season last year. And then you come into the draft this year, and not only do you, and even the deal I just said, as I touched on earlier, that's not even the deal they got because they somehow threw in a pick swap. And this was after they chased campaign very, very hard uh, last season and gave up second round picks and Taj Gibson and uh, and Doug McDermott, who they considered an asset, uh, for campaign. So uh, do you have any clue what this franchise is doing? No. Nope. Maybe there's well, something in than, the water in Chicago. To, I guess it's the, you know, with the way the NBA is moving, <laughs> why not have seven point guards? <laughs> well. I wish that was an exaggeration. Isaiah Canaan, point guard. It might Jerry be like Man. what Isaiah Thomas did years ago with the Knicks when he had all the centers. He had Zebo, Eddie Curry, uh, and he just said, I'm going to go big, and he just kept kept getting all these all these big centers which would be a fine idea if there was a single if there was even one of them and there isn't one except for Levine and he's got a torn ACL who could shoot Rajon Rondo can't shoot and he probably I think we'll probably find out he'll let his contract expire um he's only guaranteed for three million and um but they've got three days I guess now that's uh as of the first of July it becomes fully guaranteed the full 14 million so who knows what Rajon Rondo, what they're going to do with him. Obviously, you got Chris Dunn, who played like a pile of hot garbage, who, you know, played with a bit of, you know, a bit of defensive flair, but some completely useless, lost, inconsequential, ineffective, late, indecisive, ill-prepared. Pick your word, and that's how we played as a point guard, which was extremely disappointing for a, a 22-year-old point guard coming into the league, right? He's now 23, had a year of complete and abject failure. And I guess the way, the only way the Bulls that you can possibly spin it to yourself in your gloomiest days is that Thibodeau doesn't like the rookies and didn't give him a fair shake and something else. And Chris Dunn is this, you know, got this high ceiling. Uh, that's, that's, that is really, really pushing it. Well, I don't right? think you can make that argument because he played, well, Tibbs was almost forced to play him after Levine went down and he sort of at first went to the eight-man rotation because I was watching Chris Dunn pretty closely, especially when Levine went down because I was pretty high on him myself from what I'd followed uh, before the draft last year and I sort of thought being an older point guard, he would come in like Malcolm Brogdon Right and be ready to not that I expected Malcolm Brogdon to, but in in the way Malcolm Brogdon did, I was expecting that from Chris Dunn, and I just didn't see it, and he was just look lost on the court. Yeah, terrible, absolutely terrible. So no, I think by the time our listeners have heard this, they've already heard and read every single f bomb laden um, uh, podcast and report on the. Maybe, can you remember a more lopsided, indefensible, um, illogical, ill-fitting parts, overpayment? I, I just can't remember. It has sort of ticks every box of incompetence in a trade, you know, other than maybe the last one would be the whatever version of Vlade getting fleeced by Sam Hinkie to give him eleven D five assets for, you know, for, for nothing in the... Obviously yeah, the, that, the that trade stands on its own. It does. 
it does, but this, I mean, he, at least he didn't trade a superstar, right? You know, he traded a whole bunch of idiot, you know, swap rights, et cetera, you know. Mm. Um, but so I'm, I'm saying it's in that vein, though, Daz, it's that bad. It is that bad to pay a an all-NBA player like Jimmy Butler who's under contract in his prime and a brilliant. You get 24-6-6 six, and six on that train wreck of a team last year with, you know, ball-hogging Wade and ball-hogging Rondo on the team, you know, 24-6-6 six, and six on that train wreck, you know, it just, I guess, shows you, shows me anyway, a bit of his mm-hmm. mental mental fortitude. So there's just, it's indefensible on, on every sort of level. It, that hasn't, there's nothing I can add that hasn't been said or written about. And I guess I'm glad we're doing this a few days after the trade because um, the level of F-bombs I would have dropped, not because I'm a Bulls <laughs> fan, but because I, I'm constantly looking at, you know, who are, you know, who are the competent franchises in the league. And just, it just frustrates me when there's such levels of, of incompetence. And on top of it, right, I'll, I'll dash to the, on top of it, right, as if this wasn't bad enough, as you already pointed out, stapling a first round draft pick to the superstar is mm. in, beyond, beyond indefensible. And then the cherry on top of the cherry on top of cherry was selling their fucking second round draft pick to the fucking warriors to pick up the perfect player that can now they can let JaVale McGee go selling second rounders to the Mm. the already dripping in riches golden state warriors they just go okay there's chicago for you that that's chicago sold jordan sold jordan bell to the dubs which um well, Jordan Bell is another. That was the second player I mentioned last week as a Spurs player. I was, I was wanting uh, my franchise to to go after. So I was familiar with his yeah. game. Um, he'll be um, he'll be like the nice combination between Azili and Javale McGee. You know, defend, rebound, run all over the place, and guess what? He'll do it on a second round draft pick contract. Exactly. Which giving Golden State a little bit of breathing room. So well done, Chicago. So that was one of my big rants. Obviously, my Bucks, you know, have done it. You know, getting rid of Norman Powell and Pat McCaw. And so the next time I hear anyone whinge, myself included, you know, about the, you know, any super teams, you look at the teams like the Bucks and the Bulls and whomever's who are selling your fucking second round draft picks are the best teams in the league. Um, and watching these watching these second rounders flourish under a, a great system. So that was just to, to add insult to injury. I can understand. I mean, with the second round picks, I'd make two quick points on that. I can understand it in some ways from a team like, let's say, Philly, who had eight picks this year. And it's just like, we either pick a guy that we're going to draft and stash and it's probably not going to amount to anything because we're not that high on him, or we sell it for 3.5 mil. I can understand it from that point of view. I can't understand it from a team like Chicago that's now in a full, has admitted we're in a full-blown reload or rebuild. And... You draft away, you you give away one of your picks that you could have surely could have held on to. I can't believe that was a sticking point between Minnesota and and Chicago. And then you sell your pick to the Warriors for a player that you know you could have easily held on to. And the other point I'd make, or you could have easily contributed next year. And the other point I'd make is now this sort of throwing in second rounders and saying, oh, we're actually getting assets back when we trade guys for second rounders. Second rounders aren't really worth anything anymore. I mean, they're worth that, that money, if you like. 
But if a team can sit there and come in and just say, we're just going to buy a second round pick, what's what's the value in attaching the trades? Like, you know, Philly have just done it for Nerland's Noel. It was a real asset for two second rounds. Is it? it makes no sense to me. Yeah, look, I actually think that the second rounders are, are quite valuable now that the salary cap is back, kind of going to flatten out a little bit because, and these are the supreme, the extreme um, return on your investment, right? When you can get a Malcolm Brogdon or, you know, Draymond Green for years, as it were, or, you know, Hassan Whiteside for a few years on second round non-guaranteed contracts are so controllable and so cheap. It allows you to do all kinds of different things with your salary cap and other and you And you so, make money, so you can say 3.5 mil, but they're making that back because they're just not giving, that's money they're not giving out in salary. And avoiding the luxury tax or whatever it is. So it's not even a sunk cost for them uh, to say we're going to buy the pick. So that's why, in terms of attaching it to trades and things, why, when teams can just come in and buy them anyway. Um, well, I'm they're not, not sure. always for sale, I guess. And now you've got the guy you want is not always there. So it's very clear, you know, um, you know the Clippers had targeted, you know, late in the draft. They didn't have picks either. And the Clippers got... You know, Sundarius Thornwell, a guy they again, a guy they must have liked, and you know, Golden State targeted Bell, and just they just working the phones constantly for someone, right? So, mm. um, I know I, I think it's a it's a again we talked about before, but in the era of one and done, the drafts are getting deeper and deeper, and they're getting more volatile and harder <laughs> to predict. You know, between pick fifteen and pick forty five, you know, there's that variance of who's going to make it and who's not is, is not what it was 15 or 20 years ago. It's harder, harder to predict, especially with all the international scouting. So I, so I, find, I just can't believe teams like Milwaukee and Chicago. And again, you're right. Philly who had four or five extra ones. They had just no, they don't have roster spots. So you can't. Yeah. They, they had I, to, I they think had with the G them. league now, that's going to change every single team having their own development league team. I think that'll change. Uh, yeah, the the I guess the the ability to take these second round guys, but also you would hope it's going to help the development of those second round guys as well. Um, so we just unloaded on the Chicago Bulls, but believe it or not, does they're not even the worst run team in the NBA because <laughs> no. we're about to move on to a team that is far and away the worst run team in the NBA because we want to talk a little bit about a couple of players that were thrown around in trade rumours that didn't eventuate. The first one I want to talk about is um, Porzingis, Kristaps Porzingis, and the train wreck, dumpster fire of a franchise that has become the New York Knicks and Phil Jackson. So, the of course, Porzingis skips out on the meeting, on his end-of-season meeting with uh, Phil Jackson in the front office, uh, goes back to Latvia. They let him let him leave. They didn't try and, and stop him or anything like that. Now the stories are coming out. Oh, Phil's very upset about this. He's trying to send a message to the player, right? So it, maybe they're trying to get in trade talks. Maybe they're not. We're not really sure because they're also leaking information that the guy is uh, he's carrying injuries and his body might not be right. And they're attaching Joachim's Noah, Noah's contract to any trade. So they're really doing the great job of building up his trade value. Uh, and all in the greater glory of Phil Jackson. So he can say, look, I'm sending a message to this guy. And uh, as I've heard from multiple people, look, 
that may have worked when you're the coach and when you've got these guys in the huddle every day. It does not work as a GM. And this was always the risk, I guess, bringing Phil Jackson in, a guy with no front office experience. And really, he, he's shown that every single step of the way that he doesn't have the experience in this job. And he's sort of in over his head, in a sense, um, unless he's got a secret agreement with Journey Bus to just see how quickly he can run the whole franchise into the ground. Uh, but what did you make of these rumours? Um, I know that there was a certain few terms, like the Celtics were involved, the Suns were mentioned. Uh, what did you make of the rumours? Did you take them with a grain of salt? Um, and, and what's your overall sort of thinking about the uh, the New York Knicks at the moment? It makes gar packs look like geniuses. <laughs> You're right. I mean, just you almost can't underestimate the um, what goes into the psychological Molotov cocktail that a president of a franchise throws at his own superstar player. It, again, there's no logic. I, I don't have the enough um, PhDs or a team of Austrian psychiatrists here to to look at what what brand of um, psychosis, narcissism, um, ignorance, incompetence, um, some dystopian reality he's creating for some for what used to be a you know a heralded franchise, self inflicted right. It's mm. one thing to to make a horrible trade like Chicago. It's entirely another to undermine, insult, um, devalue, deface, embarrass, and surprise the people who work for you the way Phil does it. So whether that's showing up at having a secret practice behind Jeff Hornacek's back in fucking April to teach, run a 45-minute session on the triangle, which he did and didn't tell his head coach about, through to um, how he gives Carmelo a no-trade clause. He was there when he gave him that no-trade clause and now trying to make Carmelo so angry and upset that Carmelo wants to leave. Well, you can't leave because you gave him a no-trade clause. Mm. Did you forget Did you forget that, Phil? Like, it's so... It, it makes me want to just... I, I don't know what it makes me want to do other than I don't... It is... It is if I'm Kristaps Porzingis, I now keep my mouth shut and I don't do anything. I take the qual, I reject the qualifying offer to become an RFA, and I'm an unrestricted free agent as fast as possible. I take out a giant insurance contract to make sure I don't get injured. Insurance policy, and I am out of that franchise as fast as I can. And I think it's irretrievable. Even better. Phil's incompetence has now created, he's taken the New York Knicks and made them a place no player will touch. No player with any amount of credibility or career stature standing in the NBA hierarchy would even come close to it, right? He's literally created an, uh, just a complete repulsive organization and still spending more time on the frickin' triangle. So the, the level of destruction he's done, not the least of which will be his fill in his 11 rings, the one he wears on his fucking cock probably, um, on his 10 fingers. He, in his, how long has he been the Knicks president? 
three years, four years. I think uh, this I, will be his fourth going to his fourth. fourth year, right? I I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say that this is not just tarnishing his legacy, but it actually might be ruining his legacy. And you have to kind of call into question back to the, some of the old conversations was, you know, the chicken and the egg argument was, did he create the teams or did the teams create him? And um, when he when he shows this level of incompetence in systemic incompetence. So it is um, it is every metaphor you've used that it's a um, a repulsive, horrific work environment with a horrific culture of mistrust, of uncertainty. I don't know how anyone could do their jobs, not the least of which, not the least of which being poor Jeff Hornacek. He's still the coach, right? Yeah. He, well, in, in right? name only. Yeah, in name only, right? So I go. Um, how how can you how can you do your work? I mean, what other GM in the history of the league has said we are pl- this is the style of basketball we're playing? We're playing this offensive system, and it has to be this offensive system, and we have to bring players in that, that fit this offensive system, and all this nonsense that they go on with. I, if there's been well, one, I can't remember it. Many play, I mean, many GMs do that, right? But then they hire a coach and bring personnel in to do it, right? But that's why GMs and coaches break up all the time. If there's a change in heart from ownership, or the GM makes a trade that completely changes the you know the nature of the team, i.e., our the Australian example of trading Andrew Bogut for fucking Monte Ellis when your head coach is Scott Skiles, a tough as name defensive-minded coach, Scott Skiles quit 20 games later. He goes, you created, you betrayed the entire thing we started to build, right? So, you know, there's no question Daryl Morey wants to play a style of basketball, right? He wants to play three-pointers and layups and free throws. And so he builds a roster and kids and finds a coach to, you know, shoot three-pointers and layups. So lots of GMs do that, and they should. That's their value to have a vision for the style of playing to shape a roster. And that's He's well, so I guess it's from... more the annoyance for me is this mythical, um, mythical stature that the triangle seems to have, uh, and we touched on it, you know, in an earlier pod, and the sort of the the way some of the media members uh, wax lyrical about the triangle, and and you've got to get guys that can fit into the triangle and all this sort of stuff. And when was the last time the triangle was an effective offense in the NBA? Phil Jackson coached the Bulls. Or the Lakers? Lakers, well, yeah, that's right. And I mean, I think the Lakers was a bastardised version of it anyway, particularly towards the end of the, the, the section when you got Kobe Bryant just coming down jacking up shots and hoping he gets bailout calls. Yeah, look, uh, we, I think we touched on it before, but there's a, there's a lot of, there'd be a lot of data and a lot of coaches are far smarter than me that would say the, the pure triangle doesn't have nearly as the place it does in today's NBA because of the way the, of all the rules have gone, right? An effective style when you've got the, you can do arm bars and lots of hand checking, right? It's a way to create some space when your defender's clinging all over you, but defenders can't do that anymore, right? So it's far easier to run free in the NBA. And that's why you, you got what the style of play you see playing that wins championships and trying to create corner threes and tons of transition and early shots. And there's just the, the triangle is a symbol of, yep, create space. That's what the triangle does, is try to create space. But that's why I say pure triangle, the way Phil wants it to run. And he can only have a point guard like, 
you know, like a maybe Frankie Nicotine can, can do it, right? But it's mm. uh, it just doesn't have a place in with the rules that are that, that the NBA has, right? Yeah. It just it, it doesn't ha- it doesn't have a place. It doesn't mean it won't it couldn't work. It's just it's not a it's not an elixir to combat you know pure man to man defenses with lots of hand checking and and arm bars that, that you could play with. Um, the other thing that the Phil apologists uh, come out with is to sort of say uh, the reason he gave the no trade clause to uh, Camelo Anthony was to make New York an attractive destination for free agents, saying, look, we will look after our players who have been here and our stars who have been here. So if that's the argument, everything he's done since that moment has given the exact opposite effect on any free agent uh, looking to head to New York. Uh, so he's he's undone whatever great work he may have done when he's playing three-dimensional chess and uh, giving him the no-trade clause, which is uh, smartly blown up in his face. But anyway, we'll, we'll move off the next... Now we'll move on to the other big trade rumour, which was Paul George. We won't spend too long on this. We've sort of talked about Paul George in the past, but it does feel now like he's he is going to be on the move within the next week or so. We certainly expected probably last week there would be a move. Um, the team that's looking most likely now, I mean, there's been a number of teams mentioned. The Suns have been mentioned. The Spurs have been mentioned. Um, but we also, it now looks as though they're working on a trade between Denver the Cavs and the Pacers that would essentially send Paul George to the Cavs, Kevin Love to the Nuggets, and the Nuggets would send uh, Gary Harris, possibly Moody, I've heard him in and out of the the talks, uh, and some future assets to the Pacers. Let's assume, let's let's leave out the sort of Nuggets assets part of it at the moment, because we're not quite sure on that, but just your sort of first take on Paul George on the Cavs, in place of Kevin Love, how much does that improve their game? Are they are they more of a contender against Golden State than even what they were before? And the other side of it, Kevin Love to the Denver Nuggets. What does that do to their ceiling, pairing Love and Jokic? And no doubt another top free agent that they're going to be very busy in free agency this year. But the Cavs side of it first, I mean, where, where does it sit the Cavs if Paul George goes there in place of Kevin Love? Yeah, I think there's, we hinted at the first question, which is what's the market for Paul George? And um, when you look at the, it's a pretty small Venn diagram of the three circles between, you know, a team that's close to contention, a team with cap space and a team that has the type of culture or the organization that would be willing to trade assets that might be able to um, seduce or, you know, convince Paul George to say beyond this one year, that's a, it's a pretty small number, and you, you already said some of the names, like San Antonio or Houston and that sort of thing. Um, I uh, So Cleveland, I didn't think they could get into this game. Um, is he an upgrade over Kevin Love? Sure. Certainly when you think about com- playing against Golden State in finals, you know, Rocky Four next year, you know, um, mm. finals number four for sure. Right? He's a, he's a fucking phenomenal defender, far better defender and more perimeter-oriented, right? wing than, than Kevin Love. Um, Kevin Love's been a pretty fine player. He's not been the player we thought he would be coming from Minnesota. But, yeah, I think there's no question Paul George would would increase Cleveland's um, outlook for, for next season. 
that then raises probably the more interesting question, which is going to continue for the next 368 days, um, which is where is LeBron going to play next year? And I don't want to get into it, but if you got LeBron and Paul George on an expiring contract, Daz, it's not a, it doesn't take a genius to figure out what's happening from there. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's where I, I don't, I say, do not underestimate Steve Ballmer um, and Jerry West and the banana boat and watch Chris Paul, Paul George and LeBron James suit up in, in, in the Clippers part of Staples arena, you know, this time next year, I think it's still a non-zero probability whether or not Paul George goes to Cleveland or not. I think it's probably still a non-zero probability, but if he's together with LeBron, you can bet they've got 367 days of conversation to have about uh, what life is like. And, you know, if they can play together, I don't want to go too far into it because I don't, I don't think this makes, this trade doesn't make any sense for Denver. Um, unless they are trying to get Minnesota Timberwolves serious about moving up to the middle of, you know, the, the five, six sort of seed range in the, in the West, I guess they technically could, but I don't, I don't know about giving up multiple players on their roster today. Um, I think I'd go to the, if I'm Denver, I would stay pretty firm here and go to the next, I'd steer clear of giving up. Obviously don't touch um, Jokic or, or Jamal Murray. I'd even say Harris, I'd probably, you know, would I put Harris as untouchable? Maybe not. But if I said he could get Will Barton, Wilson Chandler, Kenneth Fareed in a first, you know, that's still probably a future first. You know, maybe it's that sort of level. But I don't think a 28-year-old Kevin Love makes a lot of sense for it. Well, I think it does depending on what else they're going to do in free agency. And I think that's that's where the plan's coming for them. And I maybe. think with Kevin Love, I just think it's been a fit issue as much as anything else. Uh, I think on the right team, in the right system, he'd be a far more effective player. And to his credit, he actually played a lot better last season in, in Cleveland than he had in his first season there, or first couple of seasons there. Not that he played terribly in either of those seasons, but you just didn't quite see him reach his potential quite as well. I guess there's a bit of an injury worry over him. He's had some back issues um, in the past season, so you wonder how he's going to age as well. But just the passing and the, and the IQ that the guy has pairing him with Jokic and even Plumley, that's going to be a, a front court and I, I don't know how much that all play together, but certainly um, when those guys are on the court, even if it's just individually, to have that great passing from one of your big men is a real asset in today's NBA. And Kevin Love can sort of go back to more of what he was doing to at Minnesota, where he's stretching out a bit more um, and knocking down a few threes, um, as well as getting involved in the post. So I could say, depending on what their thinking is in terms of who they think they may be able to bring in, in free agency and we spoke about Chris Paul last week that's one of the terms Chris Paul's mooning with um, whether you think that's going to be too much of a Hail Mary for them or whether they can get in on a uh, you know on a, on a George Hill or Kyle Lowry I'm not sure how much Jeff Teague would move the, the needle for them but there are some decent point guards uh, around the league so if they were able to, to secure a really nice point guard and then you're adding that to Jokic and Kevin Love certainly doesn't make them a contender next year but it is an interesting term to watch uh, in the next couple of years going forward. Um, not sure if that deal will, will go ahead, but it certainly does seem like Paul George will be on the move. So we might uh, we might leave that discussion there, though. Um, what I might do, Daz, we might break this into a two-parter. We're about to move into the draft. We've spent about an hour there talking about free agency and 
some of the trades that happened just before the draft, but we might move forward to a part two where we'll talk about the draft itself and get some of your winners and losers and some of the picks that you liked and picks that you didn't like. 